We are in the book of Romans. We've been there for, uh, what, uh, almost two years, and uh, we're in chapter 14. We're making our way, right? We're getting there, and we're finishing up chapter 14. We've been in chapter 14 the last two weeks, and we'll be there today. And um, if you've been here the last two weeks, you know that chapter 14 is, is dealing with conflicts that believers sometimes have with one another. And uh, every once in a while, these kind of conflicts will arise over matters that uh, perhaps could be uh, considered disputable matters. Paul has seen that even in the early church, there was this tendency for believers to have disagreements over issues in the church that uh, perhaps disagree over, that Scripture doesn't readily address. And so there's some who will identify them as sinful, some that will say it's okay, and uh, it ends up leading to divisiveness in the church. And as we've seen over the past couple of weeks, his comments are directed at two groups of people, which he labels the weak and the strong. He has said that the weak, perhaps newer believers in Christ, wanting to be right in their relationship with God, uh, well, they've decided that certain foods are unclean. They're off limits. It goes back to the Old Testament law. We just ought not to eat those things. And uh, they didn't eat them, and they were quick to condemn those uh, who did eat them. And the strong, on the other hand, said, you know, in Christ we are free from the rules of all of that, and uh, we're just going to eat that. And the strong, uh, Paul had exception with, because they were flaunting their freedom in front of the legalistic, weaker Christians. What's interesting is that Paul in the passage makes it clear that when it comes to the issue of food and the rules and those kinds of things, that he stands on the side of the strong, that he is 100% convinced that Christ Jesus has set us free from the rules of legalistic behavior and standards by which to achieve our personal righteousness because there's just no hope in trying to do that. But he is also quick to make the point that the strong should not be so quick to pick a fight with the weak over issues, disputable issues. If the weak feel it's wrong for them to not eat certain foods, then respect that and don't eat them in front of them. Don't flaunt your freedom. So now you have the background. Here's the rest of the chapter. We're going to read verse 16 to 21 first. It says this, Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who is in this way serves Christ. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace in the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is, go it is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. You know what my first reaction to this passage is today? After having been in this, pass in this chapter for two weeks? My first reaction is, can we give the subject a rest, please? <laughs> this entire chapter has been devoted to this conflict. And it must have been this huge deal 
And uh, because Paul is just keeps saying the same thing over and over, he said it several times, he wants this church in Rome to get it, and I think, by extension, he wants you and I to get this, right? Not that we have disagreements with other Christians, right? But in case they ever do come up, right? He wants us to get this. And he starts by saying, don't let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. And the point that I would draw from that is this. Don't attach moral judgments to disputable matters. Don't attach moral judgments like that is evil to disputable matters. It'd be like someone who... um, Let's say, let's look at the issue of alcohol, drinking alcohol. Let's say they were, they were brought up in a home where it was never ever there and they were always taught that it's wrong, don't drink. Uh, then, uh, let's say one of their siblings rebels and starts drinking alcohol and alcohol just absolutely wrecks his family, tears up his life. And now the whole idea that alcohol is wrong or evil is reinforced by its destruction in their sibling's life. And so they feel very confident in their position that alcohol is bad and they attach evil to all alcohol. And then one day they are in the parking lot at Wolf Ranch and they see a person from their connect group going into a liquor store. And they're shocked. And they wonder, I don't think I can go back to that connect group. Because there's an evil person in it. What Paul is saying in the chapter is that both sides, both sides of an issue have a responsibility to not let it create a wedge of division in the relationship. I mean, how you look at the particular example I just gave is determined by what you define is a disputable matter. Some of you might say here today, well, alcohol is, is indisputably evil, and you may have other things in your mind that are indisputably evil, but I see other Christians participating. Others might consider it a disputable matter or a matter of preference and a matter of their freedom. And I just have to say, we need to be extremely careful to refer to Scripture and what it has to say about these things. I know there's going to be division even over that, how you interpret Scripture. I mean, one might say that uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and they've decided what that means. You ever heard that verse? You ever heard that verse? Yeah. Body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, I've heard that verse used for all kinds of things. I've heard that scripture used for everything from smoking to drinking to tattoos to piercings to obesity to lack of exercise or anything, anything short of the per, pure and perfect physique, right? But what is the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 6? It is sexual immorality. That's what it is. It's sin. You just have, we have to be so very, very careful what we are going to throw into the indisputable category. Because these are things that we're going to contend for. These are things that we're going to even be willing to perhaps part company over. Such as blatant sexual immorality lived in defiance of Scripture. There's an example of that in 1 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. 
Paul, same author as Romans, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words, says, It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife, speaking to the church at Corinth, you have become arrogant and have not mourned. This doesn't break your heart, in other words. Instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. Hard words. Should the church, regardless of the cultural backdrop in which it exists, should the church say that sin is still sin? Should we? I think so. We, we are not to, we're not to give in to the road of tolerance where when it comes to this blatant disregard for the truth of God's word, Sexual activities outside of the marriage relationship between one man and one woman are sinful, and it's not because you and I have decided that, it's because God's Word has made it clear on the issue. And we must fight these trends of the culture to excuse sin, to accept evil as normal, or to say that sin just really doesn't matter because we're all forgiven, and so just go ahead and do it. It matters because it destroys people's lives. It always has and it always will. It never ends well, does it? It never delivers on its promise. Temptation can promise you happiness and fun and excitement. And in the end, it brings shame and it brings broken relationships. And I don't know, maybe I'm outdated, but I still think sin is terrible. I do. And it's terrible because of what it does to people. But having said that, (laughs) be careful. Very careful careful what you place in the indisputable sin category. You know, in verses 17 and 19, if you read it, Paul is redirecting the focus of his readers. He doesn't want you to get trapped in this whole dialogue discussion of what's good and bad and what's evil and right and what, what my brother's doing and what I'm not doing. He wants us to get out of that orientation. He says that the, the, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It's not about the things that you all are squabbling over. It's about righteousness, and it's about peace, and it's about joy in the Holy Spirit. He says, pursue, chase after these things. Because when you're chasing after something, it's all you can think of. It's all you're clued in on. And when you do that, you have the approval of God and men, he says. Pursue things which make for peace, and pursue things which build up one another in Christ. Look for ways to build up other believers. I think we ought to just do that. Look for ways to build up other believers. And I think this is one of the things that this church is just marvelous at. The ways in which it finds an encouraging word. It finds a a small gift. It finds a way to bring joy and encouragement and build up somebody in their faith. And I hope you see from the passage how he's trying to get us to stop looking at issues and onto how we can spur one another on to good works and good things. You know, it just makes sense when you stop and think about it. How successful is condemning others and changing their behavior? <laughs> Have you tried it? Yeah. How, how successful is loving, encouraging, exhorting others in changing their behavior? More successful than the other. I want to put a little. I want to put. You, uh, I want to give you a little test. Is that all right? 
Can I test you over this just briefly? I, 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 want, I want to say this before I give you the test. This is a hypothetical situation. Hypothetical. You got that? All right, here's the hypothetical situation. Let's say starting next week that I decide to wear short sleeve shirts from now on because this coming week I am planning on getting the most beautiful, massive tattoos up and down my arms you have ever seen in your life. I think we ought to just pause on that and just get that picture in our mind. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. All right, let's get the picture out of our mind as much as you can. Uh, you know, uh, some in some churches, somewhere, uh, they might uh, think that that's not the best thing that their pastor ought to be doing. You think that's true? You think there are ch- some churches where that might not be the best thing? Maybe. But on the flip side of that, if I if I knew that there were people that would struggle over that, with me particularly, doing that, uh, it wouldn't be the encouraging, uplifting thing for me to uh, flaunt that in front of them. Because at the end of the day, folks, no matter what side you are on or how you view either of any of these issues, no matter what, it's not about the thing. Right? It's about the relationship. It's about the relationship that we share one with another. And I think what Paul is saying here is that we let so many things distract us. (laughs) Distract us from the beauty of who he is and the beauty of his kingdom. This kingdom of constant joy and peace and the bonds of peace and love that we have between members of the body of Christ. He wants us to enjoy this journey. And I can't even begin to tell you how exhilarating it is for me to have mutually beneficial, loving relationships with other believers in Christ. Isn't it just the joy of your life? To have other Christians, other believers who have this common Christ that you, that you know that lives in you and you share this 100% accepting, encouraging, edifying relationship. I mean, all week long I work with people who put loving each other above their personal preferences for things. All week long people from the church will come in and out of the offices and, uh, I just have so much fun going out there and teasing them and laughing with them and sometimes letting them do that to me. (laughs) I mean, at the end of the day, wouldn't you rather be an encourager than a condemner? I mean, that's what he's getting at. That's what he's getting at. Look for ways, pursue, to encourage a fellow believer. Look for ways to be at peace with one another. The work of God is to bring about this goodness for you and the believers he has given to you in loving relationships. So build, encourage each other. The next verse after he says that, he says, and don't tear each other down over disputable matters. 
the last two verses of the of the chapter, he uh, he he kind of turns his attention away from the uh, body of Christ relationships to talk about your very personal journey with the Lord. He, he says this in the last two verses of the chapter: "The faith which you have have is your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves." But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. So, I would say, I would say this, let God control your convictions. Let God control your convictions. Would you agree with that? Should God decide what is right and wrong? Should God decide what it is that you ought to participate in, what you ought not participate in? Does God know you better than anybody knows you? I think all of us would agree with the statement that we will let God control our convictions. We'll let Him grow our faith. We'll let Him mature us in our faith. We'll let Him speak about the issues that we come across and we have questions about. We'll search His Word. We'll get all the evidence and information that we possibly can. But at the end of the day, God, you tell me how I participate or not participate in this activity and how to give deference to my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who may see it a bit differently. Now, you have to consider. You might say, yeah, I'm going to do that, but that's tough, isn't it? That's, that's, that's more difficult than you might think because you have a history. You have a family that you were brought in that taught you certain things, didn't you? You might, have, you might have had a church that you went to when you were little and they taught you certain things and it's just got in your bones and it's just, I could just never do that. I, I, can't, I can't loosen up there. There's all kinds of influences that make us decide what certain things we're going to call evil and sometimes hold against our brother. It's God. It's God and His Word. It is God and His Spirit that will give you a peace towards something or a conviction away from it. Are you open? You're open to, this, to the, 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 the joy in the Holy Spirit, as it says early, earlier there in the text. Are you open to the joy in the Holy Spirit that can give you this peace about things? Are you open to letting God say that what that brother over there is doing, I'm okay with? You ever had this conversation? You're okay with that, God? <laughs> he says, yeah, I am. Grace is amazing. Let me use another example. Let's talk about movies. You okay? You know, I was taught that going to movies was evil when I was a kid. I finally went to my first movie. I said this last week. Went to my first movie when I was 16 and had my driver's license. Do my own thing, right? I remember as a kid, I would, I would always contend by saying things like, show me where Bambi is sinful. Right? Logical argument. Some of you are thinking, maybe it is, I don't know. But 
The response would come back to me, well, we just don't support the movie industry because it puts out other movies that are sinful. And folks, what the, what the passage here is saying is that it's not that... It's that God, God builds His convictions in us every moment of every day of our life. He is always the one who is molding us, shaping us, making us. Such as, let's say, uh, you see nothing wrong with movies at all, and you go to any movie you want, any time. Because I decided the movie question a long time ago. I don't have any convictions against it. Let me ask you. Are there some movies you ought to have a conviction about? Why? Because they are evil. I mean, sometimes I'm watching a TV show and a trailer for the next satanic movie. Have you ever seen... It just, I don't want that commercial in my house, let alone go to that movie. We have choices we make every day about participating in different things, don't we? It always has to come back to, what is God's Spirit saying in me? What is it? Does His Word address this? Does His Word have something to teach me here? Another thing from verse 22 This sounds a little harsh, but keep your convictions on disputable matters to yourself. Does that sound harsh? Sorry. Keep your convictions on disputable matters to yourself, but um, commentator Zane Hodges, former DTS professor, translates the verse this way. Do you have faith? Have it by yourself before God. The New Living Translation says, you may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Why? Well, that's what the whole chapter is about. Because it's not about the thing, it's about your relationships with one another. You know, uh, during this three-message, it's really a three-message series here on chapter 14, I have tried hard not to tip my hand on what I believe about some of these disputable matters. (laughs) Maybe I have done that, maybe I haven't. Because I want how I feel about disputable matters to stay between me and him. And sometimes it's not easy, is it, folks? And if you ask me about some of these disputable matters, I'm just not going to tell you. Because any division that that would cause is just not worth it. And Scripture is always pointing the church, the body of Christ, believers in Him, to live in unity. Don't let differences of opinions or preferences on certain disputable things be that wedge or that cause for division. One more thing from verse 22. It says, Happy is he who who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Happy or blessed. And so to maybe make up for the harshness of that point, I'd I'd make this point. Enjoy your life with Jesus. Be blessed with Jesus, okay? (laughs) 
Enjoy your life with Jesus. Be blessed with Jesus. Did you know, startling revelation today, did you know that God wants you to enjoy your life? Amen. He wants you to enjoy this journey with Jesus. How blessed I am in knowing that God wants me to enjoy things. And some things I maybe didn't used to do, I do now, and I don't see anything wrong with it, and I am free in Him because I realize it's not a matter of right and wrong, evil and good. And it's important to remember, I'll reiterate it, that this passage is not talking about sinful things. It's talking about things that Christians squabble over because of cultural or historical preferences. Leads to the breakdown of the unity of the body of Christ. I just think sometimes we need to relax. You relaxed? We're teaching a class now called Relaxing with God. I think sometimes you just need to let go of some stuff and let some people off the hook and not be so critical about this and this and this and this. Of course, I'm preaching to the choir because none of you do that, right? But you know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> the, the life with God is not one that's all uptight and just always <clears throat> living in angst and uh, just frustrated and upset. He wants you to enjoy this life. I'm going to close with this passage from Ephesians, the fourth chapter. It speaks so precisely to this. First three verses. Famous passage. Therefore I, this is Paul still speaking here from Romans to Ephesians now. The prisoner of the Lord implore, which means plead, beg, you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance. This means to put up with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You ever met a Christian you just had to put up with? <laughs> a face just came into your brain, didn't it? Yeah. Bear with them, it means to even suffer with them. Showing tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent. There's that whole concept to pursue. Make every effort. It means to labor. Work at this. Be diligent to preserve not to create the unity of the Spirit. To preserve, which means to stand guard over that which has already been produced. When we're in Christ Jesus together, there is unity. And we must preserve, guard against the infiltrations of our enemy. The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And bond is the word for shackles. <laughs> in other words, we are bonded together. We journey together as prisoners in shackles for the sake of Christ Jesus our Lord.
and there's peace. I hope, I hope you grasp that this is the big picture. The squabble, 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 that's the little picture that's destructive. The unity between believers has everything riding on it. It's the living demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not anything that be, can be recreated in the world. It is specific and unique to the church. Because it can only be produced by the living Christ himself. He is humility. He is gentleness. He is patience. He is tolerant in us. He is agape love that we share together. He's the unity, the unifying spirit. And the church has this enemy that wants to take us down, and that's, that's how he does it. I mean, every generation has its issues, doesn't he? Doesn't it? I remember when I was a kid, for a guy to grow hair long was bad. You were, all, all, you, were, you were a druggie if you did that, right? Every generation has a different issue. But we will always find a way to be at odds with one another, it seems as though. And maybe as you've gone through this chapter, you've had to wrestle with some things that you don't, you don't do, perhaps, but you know other Christians have no problem with it and Maybe you have beliefs that you have, you've held against other churches or other Christians in their journey. And, you know, he talks about this earlier in the chapter. Maybe you are so in love with grace and it's so good and it, 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 we ought to be. But in so doing, you've made legalistic Christians your enemy. He talks about that. Is legalism bad for the church? Oh, yeah, it's bad. But you can't see them as your enemy. And those that, 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 that toe the mark and, and say that they've got to follow the rules and do that, you can't make the people who are free over here in grace your enemy. Both of those are in the chapter. But whatever it is, it's robbing you of the enjoyment that Christ came to be in you. Believe it or not, he's given each of us to one another to enjoy. <laughs> to enjoy the relationship, the friendship, to love, to be there when stuff happens in our life. And to show the world that He is real. And that He's alive. I want you to bow your heads with me and uh, I want us to pray. Father, we have um, we spent three weeks talking about these things and conversations that I've had with uh, many people over this chapter and conversations that go on in connect groups over this chapter. And, uh, oh, I pray, Father God, that uh, you would uh, just burn within us the, uh, the core truths of your word, those uncompromising, we'll go to bat for truths. Solidify our commitment to them, Father. 
Help us to speak evil, uh, to, to say when something is evil. Help us to call evil, evil in the day in which we live. But Father, as you solidify those uncompromising core truths in us that we will go to bat for, we'd give our life for them, Father God. Oh, shield us from throwing other things in there. Shield us in our own spirit, in our own journey, that we may not become critical of our brother and sister over things that you don't consider core to the beliefs that we share together in common. And uh, oh, I pray, Father God, that overriding the church would be this... uh, this relationship of love within the bonds of peace. We would not avoid discussions, but at the end of the day, we would know that uh, there is this big picture that we are called to exemplify. Set that in our hearts so deeply that it burns within us, Father. And we will forever ever praise you and glorify you for what you do in the life of the church your church in this day and age. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this song before we leave today.